Hello, everybody, and welcome to the season opener. We are back and better than ever on the Seven Innings Podcast. You know us. Hopefully, you love us. BMO, Smitty, Holrose, Scarborough, Bro, Shro, Jess, JDH, Maddie. We have a brand new producer this year. We come to you live from Robin's Hood, week in and week out. Robin Segretti, welcome aboard. Brittany Batterton is uh, making sure that we all sound really good. And of course, uh, Vegas Vicky uh, is back as well to, uh, to lead the charge for all of us at the ESPN family. We got a lot to get to. We're going to break down all the conferences for you. Of course, we're going to shag some stats. We're going to preview the big St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational. The tournament starts this week with coverage beginning at 10 a.m. bright and early Thursday morning on ESPNU. We jump right in with Tennessee and Notre Dame. More on that to come. Michelle, Jess, and Holly, let's talk season preview right now, ladies. What excites you the most, Smitty? It's the 40th anniversary of the Women's College World Series with a brand new extended format this year. Yeah, I think, BMO, that the extended format, I'm excited about that. I'm excited to see what rested teams are going to look like going into the champ series. So I think that's going to be outstanding. It's going to give coaches the opportunity to maybe do things a little bit differently in that round robin uh, double elimination type of format before they get into that three game championship series. So it'll be interesting how they they use their arms appropriately. Um, I don't know. M- maybe the uh, ESPN softball game is able to come back on a day off just saying just saying i'll throw that out there and then uh, um i think that also all counts the- on mendoza if she won't hit a rocket right back up the middle and injure you i'm <laughs> retired now i can't hit anything <laughs> I don't know, okay, that's too me. much inside information for the very start of the show People, <laughs> i'm gonna let you know one year during our crew softball game at the women's college world series jessica mendoza may or may not have fired a line drive from Olympic bat <laughs> right back up the middle of Michelle Smith and giving her a bloody oh, ankle. Yes, yes. Like, took Here, her here's, what's hap- here's what's happened, by the way. It goes from seven days to nine days. So there's a day off, hopefully weather permitting, before the champ series, so everybody should be well rested. And instead of uh, those four games on Saturday, they're going to stretch that out Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So a lot of excitement there. Um, with the new Women's College World Series format as we celebrate 40 years. Jess, what excites you about uh, replay review? So now we're going to have a chance throughout the season, and, and especially those huge plays in the postseason at the Women's College World Series, the, offic- the umpires will have more eyes on. Yeah, we get to get it right. I mean, that's that's what you want for the players. And, I mean, Lord knows we don't want to be the umpires in the booth going, okay, we can see this because we always get the vantage point of replaying. We're showing it to our viewers. We're able to, to, to make those calls but not actually get the call right on the field. And it's something that's been coming. We've seen it slowly in the postseason to actually have it more and more now so that the players – can get the calls right that from the umpires so we can have the best, obviously most competitive, but more importantly, making sure that those big time calls, and we see so many, I feel like, especially at home, whether it's a catcher's interference call, it's wrongly called and you need to review it, whether it's a call that's safe that was out. Um, these are the plays that make the difference of the game. And then everyone knows, except for the people that are on the field. Yeah. yeah. I'm just excited. People will quit tweeting us about it as if we have something to do with the calls on the field. That's why I'm excited for replay. Holly Rowe, we don't have to go to umpire school. We can go with the flow on this one. What excites you, Holly? We've got the, this huge new expanded television format. Um, just released breaking news 
that uh, you're going to be with us for Sunday night's finale at the St. Pete, and it's moving to ESPN, and uh, we're going to get the ball rolling right away with some big games all weekend long in, in uh, St. Pete Clearwater. Well, I think UCLA versus Florida State, two national championships in prime time on ESPN in February. For softball fans, this is huge. And I think it's really important that ESPN continues to drive the softball field, the softball ratings, and serve the viewer. I think it's awesome. I know there's a ton of interest in tickets for this event, but I think to have the nation on a Sunday night on prime time see UCLA and Florida State go at it, this is huge for this sport, and I, I'm excited that we all get to be there and be a part of it. Yeah, and we're uh, we're thrilled to announce a, a new addition as well to the schedule. Thursday throwdowns are coming your way four straight weeks in a row, starting on uh, April 11th, Thursday nights, primetime on ESPN2. Oregon at Arizona at the newly minted Mike Candrea Field at Hill and Brand Stadium. Then we've got Clemson, Florida State, Oklahoma State, Florida State, and we'll round out our Thursday throwdowns uh, with the first of a three-game series, Bedlam, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma all coming on Thursday nights. It's all on the road to the Women's College World Series for the 40th year. Going to be great stuff. Hard to believe it's already been a decade since Alabama was dancing in the rain with Kayla Bro 10 years Ago. Kayla's going to join us in just a minute. We got previews of all the um, Power Five conferences coming up, but let's start out with that St. Pete preview. And I'm going to turn it over to Amanda Scarborough right now, who's got Shro and Maddie with her to tell us all about what's going down at the Elite Invitational. Yeah, I, you guys, I am just so excited for this weekend. I can't wait to see some of you guys in person and get to hang out. I mean, it just, we didn't have this last year. So it's so good to be back, especially with the caliber of teams that we have this year at the tournament. I mean, 16 teams and all of them are, could potentially be, make the postseason. So, um, Beth, when I look at this schedule and when I look at just the overall format of it, because we get to see them for four days, I think that each team, even though we've already only had one weekend of play, I think that each team already comes in a little bit differently. You have a team like LSU who struggled last weekend and now has to play in this big tournament this weekend with a really tough schedule, but has a really big chance to say, okay, that's not really how we play when we lost, you know, to central Arkansas and be able to step up this weekend. Um, and even a team like Oklahoma state or UCLA, um, as well, who didn't look great against Oklahoma, Oklahoma state just didn't swing the bat, like the way that we know that they're capable of. So specifically within each team, they're going to have their own story that we're going to get to document next weekend as we cover all the games. A um, couple of matchups I wanted to point out, Tennessee FSU. I'm super excited to be able to watch that one. FSU looked great last weekend. They were really swinging the bats. Um, LSU and Oklahoma State, I'm going to keep my eye on that one. And then Texas and UCLA. Um, and then one just team in particular is just Washington. I can I cannot believe the weekend that the freshman Olivia Johnson had last weekend and that we now get to see her in person. So Washington's going to travel or go there in Mexico last weekend, and now they're going to turn right back around and come to Florida. So, so excited to see all you guys. Jen, what are you going to be checking out? Well, I think you covered a lot of it, Amanda, but <laughs> I'm really excited to walk in there and see so many little girls and their families be excited about softball. There's nothing quite like being in person, getting to cheer on your favorite player. The atmosphere in Clearwater is unlike any other. It is by far my favorite collegiate preseason tournament. 
that the sport of softball has. There are three teams that I'm really looking at this weekend. Oklahoma State, like you mentioned, Amanda, to me, they are so talented individual player to individual player, but it doesn't quite seem like they put it together as a team yet. And so I want to see how they progress from weekend one to weekend two. UCLA, they played four games. They run ruled three of their teams. And then they had what I would like to call an ugly loss, even though that score was only four to one. Amanda, you and I were at the game. That score felt like it was nine to one Oklahoma. Being at the field, UCLA did not have a chance to win that game at all. So I want to see how they rebound. And then Auburn. Auburn had an impressive weekend one. Shelby Lowe did great. They're top four in the country with batting average right now, hitting 424 as a team. So I want to see how a team like that does against top competition. And I'm really looking forward to that ESPN game on Sunday night that Holly talked about. Florida State versus UCLA. It's a rematch game. We remember Maya Brady's freshman year. She had the winning hit two years ago, the the second year of the tournament. It was so exciting. The atmosphere was electric. So I'm really looking forward to being there. Maddie, I know that we've covered a lot, but what do you got? (laughs) I was going to say, I'm learning so much already. And one of the things I'm learning is to go first when it comes to the preview uh, for the weekend. (laughs) But uh, I mean, you guys covered so much, like you said, I am so excited to be down there this coming weekend. And I had the opportunity to be at this tournament as a fan the first time around. And let me tell you, the experience was absolutely electric. I can never forget that Tennessee Florida State game at night catches up against the wall. It was like a World Series game all the way in February, and I know we're going to get the same type of feel this coming weekend. The one matchup I am so looking forward to is Washington and Clemson, and can we please just give the people what they want? They want to see a Valerie Cagle and Gabby, Gabby playing showdown. Can we get that? Do we do we think we can work that in there this weekend? <laughs> about that because I'm, you know, sometimes we see coaches in preseason games, early season games, I don't want to say saving their picture, but being very strategic about who sees who, you know, everybody's rounding into form. So I don't know, like Michelle, I'm just curious, maybe, you know, what's the strategy early in a season, bringing the the pitching staff along? Well, I think these games are imperative to win for your, your RPI. I mean, and we hear it every year, how coaches are just like, I've got to pay a stronger schedule at the front of the season and not just play it, but win those games. And so I think that this is all hands on deck. Um, You might not be throwing your ace the whole game. You might be pitching by committee and trying to to work uh, some of your younger athletes into some big pressure situations. But this is, you know, these are the bookends. That's what makes us so great. This is like the front end of the NCAA tournament. And it has that feel of the postseason of the women's college world series. That's what makes it lights out. And I just want to say one other thing that excites me, you guys, it's softball, obviously, but it's surf, sand, and sun. And I know BMO, you're going to love that, but that's really what this is all about at this tournament. It is a bucket list event, just like the women's college world series. We, you just know how the, well, we just want the power to stay on. Is that too much to ask yeah. the lights to stay on in the late <laughs> That's game? Right. It was so electric the last time Scarborough, the lights went out. Um, yeah, and, and let's remember too, I think in, in particular, Maddie, uh, for, for Heather Tower and Washington, still fresh in their minds. Remember with the pandemic, they had a hard time scheduling last year because they're isolated up there in the Pacific Northwest. And I think we're all in agreement. They got absolutely hosed by the selection committee with a number 16 seed. They had to play Michigan at home, and then they had to go on the road to Oklahoma. So, you know, being at your best and and making sure you're picking up some quality wins, very fresh in their minds, as well as on the to-do list of everybody else. 
We got 10 ranked teams uh, in the tournament. Half of the top 10 in the preseason poll will be in the tournament, including four former national champions. For more information, stpeakclearwatereliteinvite.com. And for those of you scoring at home, I already screwed up the Thursday throwdowns. Uh, uh, April 11th is not a Thursday. April 14th is a Thursday. So mark that one on your calendars to open up our Thursday throwdowns. St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational all day Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday on ESPN+. Plus. If you don't have that, make sure you get it. ESPNU, uh, the ACC Network, the SEC Network, Longhorn, and uh, breaking news, the final game of the tournament, primetime Sunday night, 7 o'clock Eastern on ESPN, UCLA, and Florida State University. Uh, also, you can follow along on our social media um, at Seven Innings uh, podcast or at Seven Innings. Somebody refresh my, uh, what are we on Twitter? At Seven Innings? Seven Innings podcast. Thank you very much, Holly Rowe. At Seven Innings podcast, where you can get your lineup card every week and follow along. We're on to number three right now on the lineup card. Time to go balling, B-A-H-L, with the Big 12, Kayla, J-D-H, and Holly. Bro, what's in? The, what do you know about Oklahoma and this uh, this hot young stud in the circle, Jordy, yeah, Ball, uh, Jordy Ball? Yeah, no surprise here. Uh, Oklahoma looks pretty stinking good week one. I mean, they really only lost Nicole Mendez offensively. So, again, you have... Allo back, you have Tiari Jennings back, Jada Coleman back. I mean, pretty much everybody in their lineup in terms of power numbers. And then you add a stud freshman in the circle, Jordy Ball. I mean, I watched that game. First of all, in no way did she look like a freshman. Her mannerisms, her demeanor, she went out there and she was attacking UCLA. I mean, that's a tall task to go out as a freshman and go toe-to-toe with them. She had 24 strikeouts on the weekend. She had insane movement and just ate the lefties apart in the, in the UCLA lineup. I mean, it was really, really impressive to see. And then I got a shout out to TRA Jennings, probably one of the best leadoff hitters in the entire country, uh, had four home runs and five hits this weekend. So just picking up right where they left off, Oklahoma is going to be really, really tough. And, you know, it's always a question in the big 10 is can Oklahoma state match Oklahoma is there going to be a year where they can go battle and steal a series away from them and the way they played this weekend I think they got some work to do Jenny well when it comes to one quick thing can I add one quick thing about Jordy Ball while you're talking about it Kayla is I talked to Patty Gasso about this and she said that her demeanor in the circle is like a tiger in a cage that she paces the back of the circle and she's like when people see her they're going to be like what is this kid doing? But they're going to really love it because she is just like so hungry and ready to throw that next pitch and get the signal and go after it. So Patty Gasso already saying, you know, watch out for her demeanor. And I love that you're saying she doesn't look like a freshman. One other quick ad on Oklahoma is Patty Gasso has, this, you know, maybe the most talented roster in America. They're the preseason number one for a reason. But she's really worried about or wants her team to be focused on everything except for the stats and numbers. You know, Tiari Jennings comes in and is one of the best freshmen, if not the best in the country last year. She doesn't want them to get caught up in what they did last year and the numbers they had last year and trying to replicate that. She wants them to focus on the best at bat, the best moment, the best focus. And I think that's going to be the battle for Oklahoma all season long. She thought the loss at Georgia last year that broke up the record um, streak to start the season without a loss, 
that was important for them. Of that's how you get better is is battling through adversity. So Oklahoma, maybe their most difficult opponent all season will be themselves. Well, and Holly, to your point, it's one of those things where maybe Patty Gasso needs to rethink that because last year the team hit 161 home runs, and right now they have a marketing promotion going towards their new stadium called Hashtag Launchpad, and you can put out a bid for how much you want to pay per home run and they'll bill you monthly by how many home runs they hit that month. So if they could maybe look to those 161 home runs, they could get that new stadium a little bit quicker, but more often than not, when you look to the circle, Jordy ball is going to be a big difference maker for them pacing the back of the, of the circle, the intensity that she brings. Yes. She's just a freshman, but she brings a maturity to the circle that is unmatched. When it comes to her pitching though, I was actually texting with Michelle Smith this last week while I was watching the game saying, is she illegal? And she did actually get called for some illegal pitches because she is leaving the ground. But when it comes to those illegal pitches, it almost fired her up and she came back so much more focused, just right on the zone. But those illegal pitches, and they're going to need to go ahead and get that tightened up so that it doesn't affect the rest of the season. They also mm-hmm. have some key transfers in Hope Troutwine and Alyssa Brito, and those transfers are really going to help round out that roster, which is already stacked from top to bottom. But when you take those five hitters that they return from the top, the top five hitters, they hit 103 home runs, just those five hitters. That beats or matches every mm-hmm. other in the country with just those five hitters from a year ago. I want to give a little shout out to the bottom of their lineup though, guys, because against UCLA, their top four hitters that we are praising right now went two for 15. It was not the top half of their lineup that got it done. And those two hits were single base hits. They were not extra base hits. There was not any wowness. The bottom half of that lineup won the game for Oklahoma. So I want to give a little credit to them as well. Well, and Shrub, isn't that what great teams, real quick, isn't that what great teams do, right? When the top of the lineup or your big bats aren't showing up, the bottom of the lineup does. And that's why Oklahoma is so good is they're just versatile one, not one through nine, but one through 20, everybody on the bench as well. And you talk about those big bats. I think everyone's looking at Jocelyn Olo this year, watching to see how fast she can break the home run record of Lauren Chamberlain right now tied with Stacey Newman at 90. That record is at 96. Mm -hmm think it has a a lot of longevity to it. So Oklahoma is playing in Hawaii. Patty Gasso purposely scheduled that trip so Jocelyn Allo could play in front of her friends and family at home. How cool would that be if she's able to wait and break the all-time home run record in front of her friends and family on the on the (laughs) islands? We we will have a couple of other teams of course that will be uh, trying to chase down the Sooners in the Big 12 in Oklahoma State and Texas. Uh, Miranda Ellish, the other big story there, uh, coming back after the year off now to join Oklahoma State. And uh, Mike White, excited about some of the new talent that he's got rolling into um, uh, Austin as well. And that's what we're looking at in the Big 12 so far. Um, Holly Rose Tiger in a cage is the front runner for the name of the episode this week. Let's see if we Let's can improve go. on that as we continue rolling down our lineup card number four. The ACC duking it out. I, I went with Duke. Uh, I almost went with Virginia Tech because the Hokies uh, had actually three really nice wins on the resume. So um, since Maddie has campaigned to go first, 
so she can get the, to the top of the lineup and all the good stuff in. Maddie, Michelle, Jess, and Amanda, what you got for us, Shipman? Well, I'm super excited about uh, the ACC this year, as I'm sure everybody else is as well. Of course, with Clemson, you got to be on the lookout for Valerie Cagle. What she was able to do last year, just her her ability to be able to hit the ball, pitch the ball, truly do it all. Uh, she's your do-it-all player um, in the SEC. And, and I think already we're seeing the dominance of Keely Rochard in the circle for Virginia Tech and just how able, how she's been able to really bring that program up with some big time wins early on in this season. I'm already showing that they're going to be a big powerhouse in the ACC as well. I always like to kind of keep my eye on Notre Dame because Abby Sweet came out with another stellar weekend. I think she hit above 500, something ridiculous, but she's somebody who finished the season off on a high note last season and she seemed to carry that on into this season as well and then of course Duke Duke is a team that they are just fighters they come out and they perform every single time they they lost one game I believe it was to Arizona State this past weekend but uh, they face off against Florida this weekend so I think it's going to be a good test for them going into this weekend to try to carry on some of that momentum from those four big wins in the first weekend out. Well, and I think one of the things I'm really excited about, Maddie, with the ACC is how about Florida State, right? They've had two championship series appearances in the last three years, so you can never count them out. But when you look at last year, just in the ACC, it's all the, the suspects you were talking about. It's Clemson who won the regular season. It's Duke who won the tournament. And then you've got Keely Richard, as you mentioned. She is lights out. She's a defending ACC pitcher of the year. Um, I love Duke, though. The way that Peyton St. George through against Oklahoma State. She was lights out. First ever All-American for Duke as well. Deja Davis is just, uh, you know, a machine, offensive machine. But as you mentioned, Notre Dame 5-0 this last weekend. BMO, the Q, Syracuse was 5-0 as well. All right. So they had a nice opening weekend. And how about North Carolina? 4-0, had a win against South Carolina. The ACC is stacked. And I'll tell you what, the ACC network is only going to continue to make that conference stronger and stronger as these great athletes all around the country say, hey, I want to go play for these teams. I'm, I'm pumped about the ACC. I think they're going to be right behind the SEC when it starts coming up to teams showing up in the postseason. I know I'm not supposed to be on this segment, but I just wanted to tell you, I did an interview with Keely Rochard this last week. Watch out. She's locating her change ball. She's worked on it. And she might be the most stubborn pitcher in America. And I use stubborn in air quotes with a lot of love. When she decides she's going to do something, she does it through every pitch against UCLA last year and in postseason. She is an absolute baller. And I'm just obsessed with her. Keely Rochard, shout out. Shout out for that change ball, folks. Change ball. Change ball. I got that too. I don't know. That might be the name of the podcast. Change ball. No, it's I'm, I'm rusty. Change up, change up. <laughs> rusty. I feel like this has been a conference of pitchers and that's what gets a lot of love when you look at the names. And of course, you know, following Smitty, that's the names that get thrown out. She did say my, my biggest name that I get excited about within this conference that doesn't get a lot of love is Deja Davis. She was hurt last year. She had those knee problems. I don't know if you guys remember the year prior to that. She was a 400 hitter. I mean, huge power force. And when you think about Duke and, you know, them and Clemson, new programs. I mean, it's so exciting. And I love that these universities have invested early on with great coaching in Marissa Young, John Rittman, who coached me at Stanford, both of them being able to take these programs, put them on the map immediately. And, and the good thing is, is now they have that postseason experience they got last year, but I wanted to give the offense some love. You know, Valerie Cagle, obviously, you know, for her pitching, what she can do for the bat. But Deja Davis, look out. 
I mean, she was hurt last year and put up those numbers. You watch her this year. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Jess, that Duke team hit 12 home runs last weekend. And granted, they're playing in Arizona, so we know that the ball flies a little bit fa- uh, deeper. But um, I think that Duke is going to be strong. And my big, bold prediction is that two, maybe even three teams from the ACC make it to the Women's College World Series. Like, I think it's going to, I know, big, bold prediction, but we're all sitting here talking about how strong they are. And Virginia Tech, remember, just last year was one win away from making it to the Women's College World Series. So they're a team that could get there. I know Pete DeMore has revamped their offense and going back to when he first took over the program, letting them swing more freely. So I think Virginia Tech, FSU, and maybe Duke or Clemson could get there. That's my big, bold prediction on the ACC. We'll see. And I know we've talked a lot about defense and pitch or pitching and offense in the ACC, but I've got to give a shout out to Jen Saleo, the shortstop for Georgia Tech. I don't know if you guys got an opportunity to, but she was flying all over the field, making diving catches mm-hmm. up the middle, over the line. And uh, they ended up, Georgia Tech went 4-0 on their first weekend out too. So the ACC starting off real hot. Yeah. I think the next big step, and if Scarborough's prediction is going to come true, they have to get at least one or two other teams besides Florida State to host regionals. That makes like a tournament like this one, St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational, uh, presented by Wilson, uh, shameless plug, so critical for Clemson because they've got big non-conference games with Washington and Tennessee, et cetera. And that, these are the wins that you need on the resume to be able to host and improve your chances of getting to uh, the Women's College World Series and uh, on to Oklahoma. So uh, a good look around the ACC. We move down our uh, lineup card time to talk Big Ten. They are back this year, of course, playing with everybody else. They only played the conference schedule last year. It was Ashley Miller time this weekend. The sophomore Michigan State making some noise as the righty went 3-0. A show in the know is going to lead us here with Amanda and Michelle talking about, uh, oh, the hearty folks in the Midwest. <laughs> Let's give a little shout-out to Ashley Miller. First ever seven-inning perfect game at Michigan State. That's huge, guys. I'm going to make my big, bold prediction. This isn't really a prediction. This is more of a statement, Amanda. I think your prediction's crazy, but my <laughs> statement is that this may be the deepest Big Ten that we've ever seen. Northwestern, Michigan, Michigan State, Illinois, Minnesota, and even Iowa had good weekends this weekend. Illinois had a huge win over LSU. Uh, They split the series against them, but that win, when I got to watch them play, I don't know if you guys got to see this, they were so excited. Every time they went down, they came back that next inning. It was automatic, just rebounding. It It was really just impressive to watch the energy that they competed with. I have to talk about Michigan because Obviously, Sirocco, Bobian, these are great arms, but do they have the lineup to do it? Do they have offensive power numbers one through nine that's going to consistently produce runs? The Michigans of the past haven't. I'm just going to call it like I've seen it. They've always kind of relied on two people, an arm in the circle. We'll go Jenny Ritter, Sam Finley, right? It's been a duo, a pitcher and one hitter, the Sierra Romero. Can they put it together one through nine to figure out how to score runs and win ball games that they need to? We saw them face off against Florida and it, it, it wasn't pretty. The feeling of that game was that they just weren't going to win. Uh, Northwestern had an impressive weekend, four and one. Uh, and then and Minnesota got it done as well. So I'm trying not to take up all of the bullet points. Who else is on this one, Amanda? 
Are you on yeah. this topic? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I just, I really like Michigan a lot. Um, I didn't actually expect them to come away with a couple of losses after last weekend, but there aren't too many teams that have a crafty all American type lefty like Megan Bobian and a power righty like Alex Duraco on their pitching staff. So when you have those two, even though their offense is a little bit light at times, I feel like they can beat anybody in the country and the type of arms that can make it to the world series. One team um, that I just wanted to give a shout out to and one player in in particular is Wisconsin and Kayla Conwent. She was a 2019 player of the year in the big 10 hit 459, 15 home runs, like had a monster year. And then of course, 2020 was her senior season that got cut short. She didn't play last year. She is back. And so it's just kind of cool that she's getting another opportunity to play for Wisconsin when she has Mm -hmm. had so so many ups and downs and um, tough moments in her career. Yeah, and I think if you know you look at um, the teams that have been strong in the Big Ten and continue to be strong, you have to look at Minnesota. I think Minnesota has to figure out their pitching aspect. Um, yeah, in the circle, I think that's going to be a big thing. They've got the the 2021 home run leader and Natalie Denhard Tog back. She's going to continue to hit really well for them. Um, but I think pitching will be the question for them. Northwestern Danielle um, Williams, the lefty, she's crafty as well. She knows how to move the ball around. She's got a really good changeup. Rachel Lewis has been hitting really well for them. But I'm really interested to see what Illinois can do. They had an outstanding weekend, as you mentioned early. They have a freshman, Lauren Wiles, who was lights out in her freshman campaign, her first couple games. She did take a loss to LSU, but that was her first start as a collegiate pitcher. She gets to throw against LSU. She barely loses that game. She comes back and then beats them in extra innings to end that tournament. She had over 20 strikeouts on the weekend, a sub one ERA. So if Wiles, if she can stay strong and continue to stay hot through the year, Illinois, I think they could really um, do a lot of damage. So I think it's going to be an interesting Big Ten for sure. And we will have Michigan, Northwestern, and Wisconsin all on site with us uh, in Florida coming up this weekend. Uh, Moving on to number six, Olivia Wows, the Pac-12, everybody. We're going to talk a little Olivia Johnson, uh, the Washington sensation, and a few other things around the Pac-12 conference with Shro, JDH, and uh, Jess. Why don't you get us started on the best in the West? No, I mean, the Pac-12, first of all, we got to remind everyone there's eight teams that go to the Women's College World Series because I feel like we've got like 20 right now that are all making it. That's what's fun (laughs) about so early in the season. There's a lot of rebuild teams. I look at Arizona and how many players they lost. I mean, I can't think of... I know JDH will get into this, but I can't think of a team across the country that lost more when in terms of power, just, you know, how good they were last year. Is this a rebuild year? Um, You know, they didn't look great. I felt like last weekend, Um, you know, Washington, you always count them in, of course, with, with Gabby playing, but to see Olivia Johnson, I know Amanda talked about her off the top, how exciting a freshman catcher. Um, to come in, have the stats that she had, I think hit 703 home runs. I know it's early, but that's kind of what I was looking to because Washington will be in every single game because of Gabby Plain, and she is a workhorse. She is a pitcher you will see, yes, Madison Shipman, in every one of those big games <laughs> because that doesn't matter if it's preseason or not. Um, I do have a dark course. It's not going to be – I'm not even going to touch UCLA because Jen Schroeder's on this one. Um, although, can we just – find some defense for them. Like, is there just, I mean, I'm not going to, I know, I know. Sorry that I watched that game intensely and I was so freaking into it. I wasn't there live, but the defense and that has been UCLA's Achilles heel in the past. I love the pitching. I love their athletes, but the defense kills them, but I have a dark horse and it's going to shock you all. (laughs) Um, 
in Stanford. Elena Botter is one of the best players. You do not know her name right now, or a lot of people don't know her name. Watch her and how good she is. Remember in the postseason last year, had no experience, them having that coming into this year. I'm always going to count Jessica Allister in the way that she coaches that team. So watch out for my Cardinal. Well, and Jess, when you talk about Pac-12 teams, I then have to go straight to Arizona. You open the door, right? So not only do they have maybe the youngest team in our top 25, but they also have a brand new coach for the first time in 36 years. And that changes the dynamic of it too. So Caitlin Lowe era has begun. She did have a good first weekend, but that outing against Alabama was a doozy. I mean, seven, just absolutely got lit up in the circle. And that's my big question mark for them. We know the ball flies in Tucson. We know that they have big hitters. But who do they have in the circle? Hannah Bowen is going to have to find some help to be able to make it through the rest of this season and make a deep run in the postseason. So for me, it's that circle that really has the big question marks. But I do need to bring up two athletes who are not on anybody's radar yet. One is out of Oregon. Her name's KK Humphreys. Her mom was Krista Gomez, who won three national championships at Arizona, hit a, hit a go-ahead home run in their win against Lamar. And then, or LMU, and then you guys know the name Laura Espinosa, right? Her daughter is now playing at ASU. Hit the walk-off home run to beat Duke and wears the same number as her mom, number 30. So two names coming out of the Pac-12 that have some history that I just needed to give a little shout out to. Um, Olivia Johnson, you already mentioned it. She's amazing at Washington. No Husky has ever gone six for six in their debut. Um, last year, the team was intentionally walked only four times. Well, she already hit that number in the first weekend alone. So she's going to be a dangerous hitter for Washington. And that's what Gabby Plain's going to need to be able to get that run support. And then we talked about it, UCLA's defense. That's the, that's the piece that needs to be tightened up for them to be able to go far, because we all know that Kelly Inouye Perez and Lisa Fernandez and Kirk Walker know how to win and they will get them where they need to, but that defense needs to be tightened up. Before we chat UCLA, I do want to give Kate Lula a little shout out though, because in her first game, Arizona scored 22 runs and that is a record for Arizona in their opening day. So just give her a little bit of a shout out. I know that we weren't happy about their entire weekend, but I think that that's a good little feather in her cap. Yeah, Kate. Uh, okay, guys, UCLA. I could not have been more disappointed in the way that they played against Oklahoma. My big question for them is what arms do they have beyond Megan Faramo? We got to see Holly Acevedo. We got to see Lauren Shaw, who did really well. When she entered that game, she went one through three and, uh, and got out of it. But then Kelly decides to throw Megan to me. And I don't know pitchers on this podcast, maybe give me a little bit of a perspective here. If you're going to show Megan, if you're going to put her in the game, why not start her? That's my big question and big takeaway. Defensively, we know they just need to shore up. But offensively, and Kayla, you mentioned this earlier about Jordy Ball and what she did to UCLA's lefties. There were no adjustments that were made at all. She was able to throw the ball at the same plane, a rise ball outside, maybe at three different levels. 
but they did not make any adjustments. So my two questions for UCLA are, what's your pitching strategy? Are you going to end up pitching by committee? Are you riding Megan Faramo until you die? What's happening? And are you going to be able to make in-game offensive adjustments? Because Jordy Ball's performance reminded me of, of Fouts' performance at the World Series, had very similar feels. And then one little thing about Oregon that I want to mention is where is Brooke Giannis, everybody? They played five games, went five and oh, and she did not throw one inning. So where's Brooke Giannis? All right. Questions uh, remaining about what's going to be happening as the uh, Pac-12 evolves and emerges. Of course, we will see those UCLA Bruins in primetime Sunday night. Just announced that game will be 7 Eastern on ESPN to close out uh, the St. Pete Clearwater League Invitational presented by Wilson. Uh, we are now on to the Southeastern Conference, getting the lowdown. We heard about Shelby Lowe uh, earlier in the show. Alabama and Florida both looked good and some impressive freshmen in the circle and at the plate. Uh, JDH, Kayla, and Maddie going to lead us through our, our uh, chatter about the Southeastern Conference. Is it JDH's turn to lead off or bros? I forget. Well, I mean, wait, bro, bros the lead off. Excuse I was going to say, bros the lead off. I'm the JDH so is the lead off. I'm okay. With you you want to hit it first, Jenny. You go for it. I'll, I'll follow <laughs> your lead. I mean, let's, I'll let you lead because the story coming out of this one, I think was Alabama against Arizona this last week. So if you want to start, go with the Alabama love, I'm good with it. And then I can follow you up. Oh, what a challenge that I get to talk about Alabama. Ugh, you really make it hard <laughs> on me. Uh, no, I thought they looked fantastic this weekend. Uh, I think a big question mark was power numbers when you lose Bailey Hemphill and the entire team came together to replace some of those numbers. You're not going to place her as an individual hitter, but you get Megan Bloodworth, a freshman, his three home runs on the weekend, her first ever collegiate bat. It's a grand slam. So you have freshman power. Uh, you get uh, a huge piece back um, with the shortstop position. Uh, and I think for Alabama, which is really incredible, is that they pitched Lexi Kilfoyle in the game against Arizona. They didn't even throw fouts. And she mm -hmm. looked awesome. I mean, she shut Arizona down. So when you talk about adding depth to the plate with freshmen, with returners, um, with more just overall power to replace that Bailey Hempel when the offense was really a question in my mind. And then you get the support from your pitching staff, you know, Montana is going to be there, but when Lexi Kilfoyle pitched the way she did on the road, I mean, Rhea was packed. It was packed for a preseason game and with that pressure she really really shined so really impressed um with Alabama and I think what we saw very very clearly with teams like Missouri Missouri LSU losing some really bad games to be quite honest Florida and Alabama looked like the best two teams in the SEC without a doubt and you can kind of see their reign coming full circle back again I agree with you I think they showed out so well in Tucson and it wasn't necessarily just Kilfoyle's performance in the circle that was impressive to me. It was the moonshot that she blasted to the top <laughs> of the left field bleachers. I mean, I played there. I didn't hit there very often. And that makes an absolute bomb. So kudos to her to be able to back herself up in the circle. That's going to be just so important for them to be able to put up numbers, not just when the 
the game's tight, but to be able to put those up when they're pitching in the circle. I mean, Fouts is actually a pretty good hitter too, but I doubt that we see um, Patrick Murphy put her in the lineup to hit Florida, an impressive weekend. They have a big transfer, Skylar Wallace, coming over to help them out this year. Um, also a freshman, Lexi Delbury in the circle, a one-hit shutout against Michigan. They got the big grand slam to be able to beat Michigan. Um, just an exciting weekend for Florida to be able to do what Florida does. They win consistently, and they did it again this week. Um, we've talked about transfers a little bit in this, but I think the transfer of biggest note for me is in the SEC, but it's actually not a player. It's a coach. The transfer over from Chris Malvo from Missouri to Tennessee, that hitting approach has definitely paid dividends already. Ralph Weekly retiring after last season, but has taken the offense of Tennessee and done marvelous things with it. Chris Malvo coming in, making some little tweaks has definitely put Tennessee on my radar this year to watch for some power numbers. Zeta Pooney coming in from Oklahoma hits monster shots. And they're not, I would, if a home run could go for more than one run, Zeta Pooney would be able to hit it. <laughs> so, honestly, that's, that's the biggest transfer in my opinion in the sec is the Malvo transfer from Missouri over to Tennessee. Well, and Jenny, I think that ball that uh, Lexi Kilfoyle hit last weekend, I think it might have just landed yesterday because <laughs> you're exactly right. It was an absolute moonshot. Um, but, but it's an interesting point that you bring up with Tennessee. I think that Coach Chris Malvo is one of those unique hitting minds in the game today where he just sees a swing differently and he looks at it really from the ground up, trying to get them to utilize their legs to get as much power behind their swing as possible. But one of the things I think of when I look at Tennessee is who is going to be able to be that number two pitcher to Ashley Rogers. We know that that was the question last season. And again, this season, who's going to be able to pick up that number two spot. And they brought in a big transfer and Aaron Edmondson from Texas tech. But when I was looking at the box scores and watching the games from this weekend, Ashley Rogers threw in three of the four games that they played this weekend. And they're coming into St. Pete with a very stacked schedule. And then they go to Mary Nutter and play another stacked schedule. So they're going to have to figure out who's going to be able to pitch in those big time games and not rely on Ashley Rogers day in and day out. And, you know, one of the big takeaways too, that I you know, saw from this past weekend, you know, you're going to get solid defense from Florida day in and day out. And I think that's what makes them one of the most consistent teams around, but I don't know if you guys got a chance to see that play that Kendra Falby made in center field. At UCF, those fences are deep. It's like, what, 230 in center field? And she got a great jump on it, running back towards the wall. Those types of plays are game changers. Not only, of course, does it get your team back into the dugout, but you can carry that momentum from a big-time play like that into your at-bats as well. Hey, really, really quick too, Madison. I, I have to shout out, first of all, you make a great point with Tennessee. I think you're right. That's a huge question. We talked about that all weekend long is, can somebody else step up and – you know, speaking of stepping up, I think a team that I look at that stepped up this season, and Jen, I'm so glad you mentioned them earlier, was Auburn. Auburn had a fantastic weekend. Uh, last season, they hit 22 home runs the entire season. In week one, they hit eight. So they're well on their way to increasing their power numbers. That was a huge emphasis for Mickey Dean. And that was really what was missing last year. They had so many close games because with pitchers like Shelby Lowe and Maddie Penta, they're going to be in a lot of ball games. But the offense was just 
I mean, it was non-existent last season. So the fact that they are showing a little bit of momentum early in the season could mean that they sneak a couple wins and sneak a couple series away from some of the better teams in the SEC. Teams that stumbled a bit out of the gate that will be looking to regroup would be Arkansas. They lost a couple to Washington and LSU with losses to Central Arkansas and Illinois. We will see LSU at the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational presented by Wilson. Also, this Tennessee team we've been talking a lot about with uh, new hitting coach Chris Malvo and the uh, aforementioned Auburn Tigers will also be in town. Tennessee will open things up with uh, the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame Thursday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPNU. Time now to move down that lineup card to shag some stats, everybody. This week on Shagging Stats. And one of our favorite things of the week, Michelle Smith. And Michelle Smith is already jumping up and down. I think she's got a good one. Why don't you start us out, Smithay? All right. I have a really good one. And I think Amanda is going to be really happy about this. How about Haley Lee from Texas A&M, an 818 batting average, 9 for 11. Is this slow pitch or fast pitch? Holy cow. A double, a home run, eight RBIs, 13 total bases. A slugging percentage, blowing it up. How about seven walks, though? And she was two for two, stolen bases. Mind-blowing. Who's up I think, <laughs> I think that's the real shagging stat is the fact that she had two stolen bases. Wow. Uh, but yay, go Aggies. Um, my shagging stat is Keely Rochard went 3-0 and on the weekend, the only pitcher in the entire country the first weekend out to have three wins against three ranked teams, Northwestern, Missouri, and Kentucky. I'll back you up with another pitcher. Normally I go with hitting stats all year long, but it's early. Michelle already took the thunder with the best hitter, right? So I'm going to go with a pitching stat. Georgina Corrick out of USF, 906. She is now the all-time strikeout leader in the American. Nice. I'll go with a team stat. I'm going to give a little love to a team outside of the power five. So I'm going to the Sun Belt. ULM, they have three coaches that all played division one softball. I love seeing that Molly Fickner, Leah Wodak, Lena Holmgren. So three female coaches who all played D one, they went five and zero this weekend and they scored 48 runs. I'm since we're going to hit like all parts of the country, why not hit over here in the state of Oregon, Oregon state, Frankie Hamoudi, five home runs, one of which came off of Montana's Montana's uh, Fouts. And by the way, like 10 for 16, she is like absolutely on fire. 10 RBIs for the Beavers have to give some serious love for Frankie. Jess, you and I are on the same page. Exactly. Oregon, our Oregon, like right here. Uh, But speaking of, I'm going to add to that because uh, we talked about Arizona is the place to hit the long ball and three of the best home run hitting teams played in Arizona this weekend. And that would be Duke who had 12 home runs. Uh, Oregon state had 10 total five from Frankie and Bama had 10 as well. And meanwhile, Arizona, Arizona state um, had eight combined. So Kayla, I'm going to stick with the home run too. And we got to keep our eye on Mia Davidson for Mississippi State. She hit her 70th career home run this past weekend, which means she is just one home run away from tying the all-time SEC record, which was set by the Florida Gators' Lauren Hager. And to add to that, Maddie, just because I talked to Lauren about this, no player that hasn't been from Florida has had that award. So she would be the first player outside of Florida to ever hold that honor. 
Was that was that Francesca Anea and uh, uh, Bush that had it for a while too? That sounds right, Beth. I'm not sure, but that sounds right. <laughs> Taking a stab at that one. I'm going to go. My shagging stats is the number 17. As we start on the road to the Women's College World Series for the 40th time, uh, just a quick look back. Uh, Megan Bush, that's correct. Uh, just a quick look back at last year's Women's College World Series, all the insanity of it. For the first time in history, we played all 17 games at the Women's College World Series. Of course, all the round robins, all of the, uh, all four of the national semifinals, the if necessary games were if necessary or were necessary. And then all three games of the championship series. And it was wall to wall softball, end to end action. One of the most exciting tournaments that we've ever had culminating with Oklahoma's fifth national championship in game three over the Seminoles of Florida State. Oh, by the way, we will see Florida State in prime time on Sunday night on ESPN 7 Eastern. It is the Knowles and the Bruins of UCLA. That was Shaggin' Stats. We're going to go around the horn right now. Amanda, why don't you start us the last thought of this uh, season opener for the 7 Innings Podcast at 7 Innings Podcast to follow along on social media. What's the big story you're tracking this year? Well, I think I really put myself out there with my bold prediction with the you ACC. Did. So you did. I don't know how I could go away from that one. So I'm watching the ACC and seeing if two or maybe even three other teams can make it to Oklahoma City. What I'm looking for, there's only been one player to have won freshman of the year and player of the year the next consecutive year. It's Rachel Garcia. That's it. Will T.R.A. Jennings be the second ever to do that? Good one. Good one. I'm excited to watch uh, to see how high Jocelyn Allo can boom go with the long ball. How many home runs when she gets to that triple digit? Right, we know that that'll be there. But how high? How many home runs can she hit? I think that that's going to be a fun story to watch all year long. You, you got you got a number in mind, Smitty? She's at ninety. Yeah, I think she goes to uh, one sixteen. I'm going to jump off of you, Smitty, because I think the long ball is going to be one of the biggest stories of the season. We're already seeing these freshmen come out and make big splashes with the bat. The power numbers, I think that you're seeing uh, an elite level of uh, physically strong females that go and hit the ball hard, uh, the improvements on fundamentals. And I think it's going to be a huge deal. Uh, there's going to be just some big time uh, home run implications and games that really are going to be uh, decided on the long ball. Well, and I'm going to combat that with Caleb. One of the main themes we heard in a lot of our talks with coaches this preseason has been the play of the outfield, their speed, their depth, their, their ability to be able to snag that deep ball. And when it comes to the outfield, did you guys see the catch by Sarah Willis by, Wa by Washington? She has been taken out of the pitching circle, moved to center field and robbed the home run. Called an upgrade. Was pitching. Amazing. <laughs> okay. So look at me. I'm all over the place. I'm in the outfield. I'm in the pitching circle, but don't worry. I'll focus on uh, the big bats the rest of the year. So something kind of away from a lot of these topics that I know I'm interested in. And I think bigger picture is the, now we're seeing NIL in all sports, but name image likeness in the sport of softball, 
Montana Fouts is actually leading that right now as far as her ability to make a living. It's exciting, you guys. And I know everyone has different viewpoints and there's a lot of controversy over this, but I'm really interested within the sport of softball watching this season because guess what? At ESPN, we help in making these stars. We get to showcase starting this Sunday on ESPN, showcasing these athletes on such a huge stage. And now they're able to go and be able to make a living, to be able yeah. to reach so many more people. Um, and we're seeing that already starting. There's so many athletes that have signed contracts, that have signed deals. They're on billboards. I mean, I love it for our sport because a lot of these women are now getting even more beyond even just the television mm-hmm. coverage. Can she have a can she have a Finchian type season? And, you know, Finch in 2001, the last uh, player to have an undefeated season capped off by the national championship. The only other one, of course, Lisa Fernandez to do that. Um, Can Finch have that kind of season and really just explode even bigger on social media? It's going to be cool. Maddie. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that, that I'm really looking forward to seeing this year, I know we talk a lot about the transfers with the players, but I know Jenny touched on it a little bit earlier, just seeing the coaches and where they've ended up. I know there's several programs that we've already mentioned that uh, there are certain faces that come to mind. You know, when you think of Arizona, you think of Mike Candrea. When you think of Tennessee, you think of not just Karen, but you think of Ralph and Karen Weekly yeah. with Georgia. It's Coach Lou Harris Champer. I'm really looking forward to seeing these coaches carry on the legacies of the coaches before them and create their new legacy and start their own traditions within those programs as well. And got to give some shout outs to some of the assistant coaches out there as well. I know Odyssey Alexander is the new volunteer assistant for North Carolina. Uh, Justin Schultz is a head coach now at Boise State. And as you mentioned, Jenny, Coach Chris Malvo taking the assistant job at Tennessee. I'm I'm excited to see how uh, replay review evolves this season because there will be some strategy and some drama involved. Coaches will have an opportunity to challenge plays in games and they'll have to, you know, uh, decide when they want to use those challenges because you can challenge, even if you're right, you don't get another challenge. That will be something to watch as the season progresses. The umpires will take over replay review late in games. So if there's a close play uh, from the fifth inning and beyond, the umpires can get involved with that. But I'm, I'm interested to see how that evolves, how that plays out, and and how cool it's going to be um, at the Women's College World Series this year to see that first replay review um, come to fruition and to get what may have been a a wrong call uh, righted and uh, not have people freaking out. That will be really fun to watch. So uh, there you have it, I think. Any any last thoughts, comments of the season opener of the uh, Seven Innings podcast as we get set for the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational presented by Wilson. National TV, folks, all day Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, the uh, website, stpeteclearwaterelitinvite.com to get the entire schedule, but it all gets underway on ESPNU Thursday morning with Notre Dame and Tennessee building up to the primetime Sunday night showdown, UCLA and Florida State 7 Eastern on ESPN, Bemo, Smitty, Horo, Scarborough, Bro, Shro, Jess, JDH, Maddie. Thanks for being with us, and we'll see you on the road to the Women's College World Series.